The Apostle Peter wrote in his second epistle that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. We know this catastrophe is the Genesis flood, which is described in detail in Genesis 6 through 8. More than just a natural disaster, the Bible describes the flood as God's great judgment upon mankind but also as an example of his infinite grace as he preserved Noah and his family throughout this cataclysm. Welcome to this week's broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation. This month, the Institute for Creation Research is celebrating the 50th anniversary of the book that launched the modern creation science movement, The Genesis Flood, authored by Drs. Henry Morris and John Whitcomb. During the month of February, we will be presenting a special four-part series on the Genesis Flood through a vintage audio presentation by ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris. And now, let's join Dr. Morris for part four of the Genesis Flood. We have to think in terms of cataclysmic processes, great rapid movement of sediments and great erosion taking place quickly. Now, there's a lot of evidence of that. For example, the very existence of the fossils in the rock speaks of vast, intense processes taking place. After all, remember now, these fossils are used to date the rocks, but how do fossils get there in the first place? They're dead things, they're dead animals, dead plants, but uh, you can't have just dead plants, you've got to, or dead animals, you've got to have buried animals and plants. They've got to be buried by sediments, and furthermore, buried quickly, before erosion and air and bacteria can cause decay, got to be buried quickly and compacted quickly or they would never be preserved as fossils at all. And yet we have all through the record of the rocks and all the geological ages, great beds of fossils. That's how the rocks are identified. For example, in California, these are in the so-called Miocene shale, supposedly about 20 million years old, up uh, near Lompoc. And there they estimate that in four square miles of that shale formation, they have one billion fossil herring fish. Now, how do you get a billion fossil fish? buried in a rock. Not by any slow process of uniform sedimentation at all. Rather, some great upwelling of sediments from the bottom of the ocean or something had to just overwhelm them before they could get away. That's what no doubt happened. Even one fish is not going to be fossilized unless he's buried suddenly. You know, when a fish dies, it doesn't settle down to the bottom of the ocean or the bottom of the lake and wait for a hundred years for silt to settle on top and make a fossil. Rather, it washes up on the surface, up on the seashore, scavengers come along or something and pretty soon it's gone. So to get fossil fish, you've got to have catastrophic burial and compaction quickly or they wouldn't be preserved at all. But not only do we have these billion fossil herring out in California, great numbers of fossil catfish and other types of fish out in Wyoming and the Green River shales and the great beds of fish up in New York and Scotland and everywhere you find great beds of fossil fish. And furthermore, find other kinds of fossils. For example, there's a quarry in Nebraska. And here in this particular quarry, not just fish, but fishes and mammals and reptiles, all kinds of fossils are found all jammed together in these beds there in uh, Agate Springs Quarry in Nebraska. And then you think of the millions of fossil elephants that were preserved in the permafrost soils up in Alaska and Siberia, and other kind of animals up there too. And great beds of hippopotamus fossils in Sicily, and great dinosaur fossils just about all over the world. You find great beds of dinosaurs in New Mexico and Wyoming and Alberta and Spitsbergen near the North Pole, even Antarctica near the South Pole and Central Asia, just about anywhere in the world you can find great beds of dinosaur fossils. Now these animals were not buried and fossilized by any slow process. They had to be buried quickly or they wouldn't be preserved. And as a matter of fact, I think you can show that in every kind of geological formation. For example, is a canyon section, not too far from here as a matter of fact, and you can tell by looking at that, if that was formed by the usual process that evolutionists talk about, it would take a long time to form that canyon by the river gradually eroding it down at the bottom. 
And a matter of fact, it would take a long time for all the sediments with their layers there to be deposited too. You'd think, but no, as a matter of fact, all of those sedimentary layers, fine stratified sediments were formed in essentially one day, and the canyon was eroded in, in essentially one day. That's at Mount St. Helens up in Washington. Now, Dr. Steve Austin has done, of our staff, has done quite a bit of work up there and has a beautiful video and lecture on that. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to see that sometime. But this does indicate that you can have very rapid formation of those geological phenomena which normally have been interpreted as requiring long ages of time. Here's another one. This you maybe have seen at uh, Carlsbad Cavern if you've been there. This was published in National Geographic on the cover, I think, several years ago. And they tell you about how these stalagmites are formed by the dripping of water from the roof. And then it uh, evaporates and leaves this calcium carbonate deposit there. And it says it takes a long, long time to build up a great stalagmite like that. But then you look at that fossil in the stalagmite and you see what that is. That's a fossil bat. Can't you just imagine that fossil bat perching there for a million years while the stuff rips around and makes a fossil out of him? Obviously that was formed quickly. And here's another one. These are what are known as polystrate fossils. That is, they go through many different strata, different geological ages. This, these are fossil tree trunks. And yet the, the sediments through which they are uh, extending represent long periods of deposition by the normal way of calculating it. And you find these in coal seams where there are many different coal seams with the same polystrate fossil going through many of them. That indicates that the coal beds and the other sediments that are formed around these were formed rapidly or the tree trunks wouldn't have been preserved and fossilized at all. And you begin to see that you can find, and I think we took, if we had the time, we could show that every type of geological formation, every type of structure, every type of system can only be explained in terms of rapid formation in the geological column. But it's not just we creationists who think that. Let me read a statement from Dr. Derek Ager. Dr. Ager was president of the British Geological Association. He's not a creationist. He's an evolutionist, probably an atheist, all that you can gather from his writings anyway. But he does in his book, The Nature of the Stratigraphic Record, go through what I just said, all the different types of geological systems show that all of them were formed by catastrophes. He says, for example, the hurricane, the flood, the tsunami may do more in an hour or a day than the ordinary processes of nature can achieve in a thousand years. That sounds a little like the Bible, doesn't it? One day is with a catastrophe as a thousand years. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And that's exactly what in the context the apostle is saying. He says, God can do in one day what you would think would take a thousand years. And that's what Dr. Ager is saying, that these great catastrophes can accomplish as much geological work in one day as normally would take in our present rate of phenomena a thousand years to accomplish. And he goes on to say the very last sentence of his book, he says this, in other words, the history of any one part of the earth, like the life of a soldier, consists of long periods of boredom and short periods of terror. Everything you see in the geological record is terror, catastrophe, destruction, sudden calamity. Now, he doesn't think there were all a biblical flood. He doesn't believe in that. He doesn't think there were the same catastrophe. He thinks there were these different floods and tsunamis and earthquakes and so on. Each one separated from the next one by maybe a million years. But of course, we would say, remember that science is what you see. And if all we see in the geological record is catastrophe, on what basis do you say there are millions of years in there that we don't see? No evidence for those. The only evidence for those is that we must have that to make evolution look feasible. But all, what we, all that we actually see in the geological record can be explained much better in terms of intense catastrophic processes than in terms of slow, uniform evolutionary processes. Now, the only question then that still would remain would be, well, is he right in thinking these are all different catastrophes or could they all really be the same one? I think the evidence is overwhelming that they're all the same. After all, remember that in all the so-called geological ages, we have the same types of rocks. We have the same types of minerals and metals and contents, structures. Everything is the same in all the geological ages. There's no way that you can distinguish one age from another except by evolution. 
and the identification of the fossils in the different ages, and you do that on the basis of evolution by the circular reasoning that we mentioned. So really the obvious fact is that since all of these are essentially look the same, therefore they probably all were formed at essentially the same time. But I think if you look again at the concept of unconformities, which we mentioned were time gaps, you'll see that that's really necessarily true. Now this may not be quite obvious, but if you think about it a minute, I think you'll see the reasoning here. Here we have two sections, one and two, and two formations, A and B. And you notice that uh, the two sections are different in that although they're the same formations, at one section there's an unconformity, and the other section there isn't. The idea would be that originally this was, these sediments were all laid down in the bottom formation, horizontal, which is way strata are laid down when the water stops and the sediment drops out. Then they harden into rock over a period of time. But then somewhere along the way there was a geological uplift that took place at, the, uh, at section one. And so in the process of uplift there, the strata were tilted until they got up above the water surface. So deposition stopped and erosion began over there at section one. But in section two, the uplift didn't take place. So it stayed the same and deposition continued there and there was no unconformity there. There were still conformities at that point. And the idea here is that even though there may be an unconformity at one section between two formations, the same two formations somewhere else will be perfectly conformable and continuous. The deposition process never stopped. Now you get the point, I presume, that since the unconformity represents a time lapse and just the unconformity itself doesn't tell how long that time might have been because there's nothing there to measure. It's just the absence of anything. So it might have been a long time or a short time, we don't know. But it's section where there is no unconformity between the same formations, there was no time lapse. That means that the time gap did not go continuously through the whole formation. As a matter of fact, that's true everywhere around the world. Let me read a statement from Dr. Amos Salvador. And this man is an authority because he is the chairman of the International Subcommission on Stratigraphic Classification of the Geological Society of America. So we don't know about, he ought to know about this if anybody does. And the title of his article is Unconformity Bounded Stratigraphic Units. Now remember that unconformities do represent gaps in time. And what he says is this, unconformity bounded units became very popular at the time tectonic episodes. Tectonic episodes, that means mountain building periods, orogenies. And originally it was thought by the early geologists that at the end of the Cambrian period there was a great mountain building revolution and there was a great unconformity that separated that period from the next one, which was the Ordovician period. And at the end of each of the great periods, there was a great mountain building period that left a great worldwide unconformity, indicating when that age stopped and the next one began. So he says unconformity bounded units became very popular when tectonic episodes were considered essentially synchronous worldwide. But they did lose favor among geologists when synchroneity was found not to hold true. Now what that is saying is that there is no worldwide unconformity. That means there is no worldwide time gap. Now, get the significance of this. If there is no worldwide time gap in the geological column, if the whole deposition process throughout the column is continuous, there may be a deposition stop one place, but it'll continue somewhere else. That means we can start anywhere at the bottom of the geological column and begin to work our way to the top. And as you go up from the bottom, the 
crystalline basement rocks at the bottom, begin to go up. You'll go through the sedimentary deposits until you come to an unconformity. But that unconformity is not worldwide, so you can move around someplace else till you get to a place like this where there is no unconformity but to the next formation. Then go up to that one, and so on. You may have to zigzag around a bit to get to the top, but you can do that all the way from the bottom up to the top without ever crossing one of these unconformities are time gaps. And now, since even men like Dr. Ager and many other modern geologists who are saying that every geological formation was formed by some sort of rapid catastrophe, since that's true of every formation, and since you could go from one formation to the next without ever crossing a time gap, that means along that trace that you make, the deposition process was continuous and every unit of it was rapid. And therefore, since you can do that anywhere in the geological column, seems to me like you come to this conclusion that although these may not all be the same catastrophe, nevertheless, they're all interconnected and continuous, comprising finding a great complex of catastrophes, which are equivalent to a worldwide uh, cataclysmic flood, which in which the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Peter says, don't be ignorant of this one thing. God can do in one day what would normally take a thousand years. And then he would say he hasn't forgotten his promise. Men will say, where's the promise of his coming? But he hasn't forgotten that promise. He's uh, keeping it. And the day of the Lord is going to come in which the world is going to be destroyed by fire, just as it was in the old days of Noah by, by water. In the meantime, we have to be faithful. We have to count that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and do all that we can to bring people to change their minds, which is what repent means, and bring them in line with the mind of Christ and the revelation of the Word of God. Now celebrating over 40 years of ministry, ICR wants you to be equipped with resources that you can count on. To learn more about the Genesis Flood, get your copy of this classic book through the ICR store. Call 800-628-7640 and speak to a customer service representative. Or visit our store online at www.icr.org for this and other creation science resources. And ask about your free subscription to ICR's monthly magazine, Acts and Facts, which gives you timely news on science from a biblical perspective, as well as in-depth articles on biblical apologetics and the creation-evolution debate. Call 800-628-7640 or go online to icr.org for more information. Don't forget to mention the call letters of this station. Thanks again for listening to Science, Scripture, and Salvation. <laughs>